Shalom and welcome to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. This is a recording of a Shabbat teaching with TBA rabbinic intern Joshua Jacobs. One of the reasons I wanted to linger on Tetzave for a little bit is that with Purim, uh, one of the great joys, of course, is dressing up in fun costumes. And Tetzave spends a lot of time talking about uh, the costumes of the Kohanim, what garments they are to adorn themselves in when they perform the service of the sanctuary. Um, but more than that, it, it goes into detail about the construction of the Mishkan, which is right the portable sanctuary, God's dwelling place among the people of Israel as they're traveling, wandering in the desert. Uh, and we get a lot of interesting instructions. One of the themes, it seems like a motif throughout it, uh, which I, I found this time, and you know, every time you read something new, and for me this time it was the word tamid. We get the word tamid a lot, which is eternal. The most uh, obvious example is the ner tamid, the eternal flame that's supposed to go up. Uh, but there are a couple other ones that will come up as we're reading through this source sheet. And I don't know about you, but the first question uh, that, that hits me is, how are you possibly supposed to create something eternal from something that by nature is temporary? And I think that you can extrapolate from that because it goes, it, it, it doesn't, you know, from this specific example, I think that's kind of the whole paradox of life, right? That life, which is temporary, how are we supposed to create something lasting and eternal from it? So for me, this, this smacks of legacy. So looking at Tetzave from the lens of, legacy, I think it, it offers some really poignant insights on how to best try to leave behind a lasting legacy. Before we dive in to the source sheet, I wanted to just uh, pose a question to the group, which is, if you're comfortable sharing, you know, aspirationally, what's the legacy that you want to leave behind, or maybe a legacy that you feel you've already been able to enjoy the fruits of your labor of? Maybe it's a career-related uh, accomplishment or, or um, something you're building towards. Maybe it's in, from your family or, or truly anything at all. I'd love to hear from you uh, what you want or feel your legacy is or might be. Yeah, Larry, please. Or Gary, I see Gary. Um, no, my leg- my, I guess my thing will be before when I pass away, if I could say that I was a good husband and a good father and my kids have, have turned it so they have become good people as well. I mean, that, that's all I could be asking for. I think that's beautiful. Wait, Mark, Lise, were you going to say something? Did I cut you off? Oh, no. Um, well, I, I won't put her on the spot and uh, testify to if you've met that marker as a husband. I'm sure you have. So, <laughs> uh, and as a father. But uh, I think that's beautiful, right? Uh, getting meaning and purpose from relationships and family and, and the, the people you leave behind if, if you're lucky enough to, to do so. Um, great. Any others? Oh, yeah, please. I see a hand. So um, since my father passed away, I've been thinking a lot about like the legacy of my parents' generation. Both of my parents have roots in interesting Jewish communities that no longer exist. So my mother's family goes back to a, a small shtetl in Poland, and my 
father actually has a fascinating story. He was um, raised in the Jewish community in Khartoum. And... Um, and the sense, you know, I had the opportunity to hear those stories and, you know, have some sense of, you know, preserved memory of Jewish life from those communities firsthand. But I've been thinking a lot about, like, my children and, you know, God willing, one day, you know, my grandchildren and great-grandchildren and, you know, will these stories of family legacy and their family origins, you know, what will the legacy of that be and how, you know, how can we preserve that? Wow. So can I ask a follow up on that? Is it the sto- just the, the stories, sort of, you know, where they come from, what life was like there? And I'm sure you have some wonderful family stories you passed down. Is it also maybe like practices, customs, I mean, hugging traditions? Just curious. Uh, both, both, both. Right. So I, you know, I've grown up with, a you know, a sense a very much a sense of like these blended traditions from these communities. And um Yes. So the stories, you know, the history of the community and the traditions of the community and, you know, how long will that legacy remain and be preserved? Mm. Thank you also for, for bringing up kind of uh, uh, not, not necessarily the flip side, but expanding on that idea of legacy. Right. It's not just what you want to leave behind, but in what ways are you carrying on uh, the legacy of, of others, of your family and you know, what, what your role is in perpetuating, keeping a legacy alive? Um, that's great. Uh, we have time for one or, or two more. Any takers? I'm always, I, as, a, as a son of an immigrant, okay, who's a Holocaust survivor, I'm kind of fascinated by Jewish legacy of my own family. And I mm-hmm. say that only because, you know, as I look at my parents, you know, divorce in my, my I have a great grandfather that's, uh, that was an Orthodox rabbi in Denver, Colorado, who had like four sons and none of them became anywhere near religious. And it sort of like died out, you know, religion died out of my family. I keep meeting Deverns that are not even Jewish, you know, in various parts of the country when I go to these like, you know, family events. And, and, but I'm also seeing in the grandchildren, of um, my great grandfather who was a rabbi, I see like a resurgence of Judaism. I have a cousin that I never met that's a conservative uh, rabbi in Hazan at a temple in Newton, Massachusetts, and I don't even know her. But I'm very conscious of the first cousins I have who never married Jewish and don't have any Jewish children. And then I see this resurgence amongst people I've never met. And so one of the things that fascinates me about legacy is the waning and growth of American Judaism that exists within American families. Mm-hmm. And I see that within my own family. And it, and it fascinates me more so than the relations themselves. What it says about American Judaism and how it both grew, waned, and is growing again. I think that's fascinating, right? There, there's so much that works into that, right? Anthropo- anthropologically speaking, sociologically speaking, religiously speaking, there are a lot of different factors and I'm also glad you brought that up because as we dive into the text, which we'll, we'll do presently, um, that idea also, I think, runs through it, which is obviously if we want to leave, leave behind a legacy, it takes a lot of work and a lot is on us in order to, to do that. But, but at the same time, it can't all be on us. And, and, and there's this hope that if, if, if we put in enough work at some point, it's no longer dependent on what we do. It'll, it'll live after us. So it doesn't require us, right? There, there has to be this sort of separation. I, I only bring that up because it sounds like um, 
at some point, like where you have to steer the wheel, and but at some point, if you're able to let the wheel go, it drives itself. You know that that there's this. It might wax, but it'll or it might wane, but it'll wax, and and it, almost regardless of what you do, which I think is a, a sign of a strong legacy that it it doesn't just need you, um, or or after you've done enough work, you can then uh, seed the reins, I guess. Uh, yes, Larry. Well, first of all. It's embarrassing to even talk about concept of a legacy in the presence of uh, Rabbi Dorf. Uh, I'm sure outshines at least me and maybe all the rest of you, rest of us uh, by like years in this regard. But it seems to me the concept of a legacy can be taken two ways. And you're taking it from the point of view of the word tamid. And you're taking tamid to mean eternally or forever as opposed to the concept of tamid, meaning regularly or perpetually or always. And legacies can be either long-lasting and practically eternal, or they can simply be something of great value that one passes on to the next generation, and they don't necessarily continue forever. Hmm. In that last spirit, I would simply say one of my legacies, or mine and Diane's, is the community and the building, the restoration of the synagogue in Mozambique, in Mozambique, in Mozambique that we left behind. But I'm under no illusions that that is going to be a need in a sense of Leolam forever, only in that for the people who are still there, and they are, and using it well, well, not during the COVID, not during COVID, it's there for them. And Joanna talked about her father's lost communities, which are wonderful, but sometimes lost communities are lost for a reason, and it's also part of our tradition and our legacy that they no longer exist. Thank you. So there was a lot there. Uh, one thing, I like the distinction between always and perpetual, right? It doesn't have to be, the mark of a good legacy doesn't have to be that it's eternal and unbreaking. It could be the fact that it's perpetual, that it's meaningful. That it that it lasted a good long time and has value, um, and I, I, I want to go ahead and, t- and end at least this part of the the discussion with what you've done, which is full circle the building of a sanctuary right in Mozambique. Uh, I think is where you said, um, and here it ties back to building of the Mishkan, which is one certainly one way to leave to leave behind a legacy, right? Um, and I, I'm sure Rabbi Dorf uh, would would love the opportunity to respond and and. Uh, say <laughs> everybody has a, a beautiful legacy and it's not a competition. Um, but anyway, <laughs> I'll, I'll go ahead for the sake of time and move forward. Um, and certainly I am a great benefit. I benefit greatly from that legacy, Rabbi Dorf being my teacher. So the first text, Exodus 28, uh, 29, I'll read just for the sake of time and I'll do it in English. Aaron shall carry the names of the sons of Israel on the breastpiece of decision over his heart when he enters the sanctuary for remembrance before the Lord at all times. Right. So we are discussing here the Choshen, uh, the, the, this breastpiece that that Aaron wears. And there's something interesting about it in particular, the fact that the names of the children of Israel are named on it, the tribes and the positioning of it over his heart. So in terms of insight that I think this gives us in terms of how to leave behind a legacy, I think it's the recognition 
that you carry on your shoulders uh, the names of, you know, insert important community or people to you, right? Whether that's the Jewish people, whether that's your family, whether that's values and, and not necessarily specific people, but the fact that no matter who you are, no matter what your level, your status or position is, you carry on your shoulders um, a great sense of obligation. And how you do that, here I'm, I, I'm reading over your heart, right? That how do you lead according to Tetzave? I think you lead first with your heart. Um, so I want to leave a, a minute now for discussion on that, whether you, uh, it hit you the same way, a different way, you agree, you disagree, the notion of uh, carrying on your shoulders and leading with your heart. Any thoughts or responses about that? Great. Well, we'll go ahead and, and move on to the next text. But I'll say that in the stories you've told me, I, I heard those themes uh, interwoven into that text, right? The idea of uh, um, carrying the stories of, of your parents um, from these uh, uh, disparate uh, geographic locations and wanting to keep those minhagim uh, and stories alive, carrying that, and, and that is something in your heart that leads you to want to do that. Um, and in all of your stories, I, I, I think those themes resonated. Um, the next text, uh, Shemot 2720, you shall further instruct the Israelites to bring you clear oil of beaten olives for lighting, for kindling lamps regularly. So here we get the Ner Tamid, which again, we, we've already mentioned how this is an interesting paradox to have something eternal and something temporary. Uh, and, and Larry brought up the, 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 uh, important point that Tamid could be uh, eternal, but it could also be perpetual or, or regular. So I want to jump right into the Rashi. Um, this is Rashi on Exodus 27, 20. This, that's that verse. Rashi says, tamid, to cause the light to burn or literally to ascend continually. Um, so one must enkindle it until the flame ascends by itself. So this is what I, I was trying to hint at uh, at Brandt's comment, right? That um, you might do everything you can in honor and, and, and in respect and in commemoration of a Holocaust survivor, especially of the parent, to, to keep the Jewish flame alive. Uh, and you might be frustrated at your own lack of control and ability to, to make sure that all of your family necessarily uh, right, does that. But then you might have this sense of relief that, oh, my God, you know, all of a sudden there's this resurgence. I, I, I did everything I could. I'm doing my own part. But at the end of the day, it, it, it's beyond me. Right. And I think the mark of a good leader ultimately is that you, you make yourself irrelevant at some point. Right. Not on the outset. It's at the end of a lot of work. But once you've put in that, that work and effort, I think the hope is that at the end of the day, you can. You can, when you're, you know, many, many years from now, when you're ready to retire, you know that it's in good hands. You can literally pass the flame, pass the torch to the next generation. You, it, it can stand on its own. You know, the, the synagogue you built in Mozambique, right? If, if it needed you to keep it going, it wouldn't have, it, you know, it could only last the lifetime of one person. But if it's in good hands and, and you're able to let it stand on itself, that I think is the mark of a, a, of a legacy. Any thoughts or responses to that? Yeah, Rabbi Dorf. Uh, <clears throat> just a thought that, I mean, I'm sure that <clears throat> every one of you that has children or grandchildren will understand that 
whatever you intended to pass on to them, they will do on their own what they will do with it. Um, and part of being a parent or a grandparent is to recognize that they will not be exactly you. And frankly, that's healthy. Um, but it, it takes a little while, to, a little bit of humility also, frankly, to, to recognize that that their, whatever it is you pass down, whether it's Judaism or a love of music or whatever it is, right, will be different in their lives than it is from yours in certain ways, and in some ways the same, and and, and that's healthy. Um, and it's, I mean, in, in part because they're going to be living in another generation with its own challenges, and they're going to need to be able to face those challenges in a way that is appropriate for that time. Um, so, I mean, I think the the, pro- the the only problem I have with the Rashi here is that usually when you think about lighting a candle that to um, uh, with with let's say with one candle lighting another, you presume that the lit the newly lit candle will be the exact look like the exact same thing as the one that you use to light it. Mm-hmm. Um, and more or less with candles, that's the same. Although if you really look at let's say Hanukkah candles, they really do look differently um, over the course of the time, right? And but uh, and all I want to say here is that you have to have a certain amount of humility about what you can pass on and what you should pass on and the way in which you pass it on. Thank you. Yeah, absolutely. Right. Um, it's true with, with the, the flame, it, it's the same. Um, and here we're talking about the idea that, you know, and, and I think that that comes with a struggle, right? You, you, you might really want to preserve something right. the way it is, or if it's, if it's something in yourself, you don't want it to ever change. But that I think is a sure sign uh, for failure that it, it'll, it'll then never, if it's so rigid that it can't evolve and, and grow with the times, then it might be doomed to destruction. Um, but maybe with to, to preserve alive the candle metaphor, maybe it's the source, you know, that, or the spark that nice. the form it takes will be different, but it, it might still share the same source or flame or passion or, you know, root cause. Um, yes, Marshall. Uh, I want to go back to Larry's comment about the meaning of the word Tamid. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> at least as I read it last week, it doesn't mean eternal, it means ongoing or continuous. And the, the priests were told to tend this, this, uh, this nair every night, continually. So what do I draw from that? Because they could have used the word lanetzach or nitzchi, which they didn't use that word. And even in your first example, l'ifnei night tamid, at all times, they could have said, bechol eight, every, every single moment. Right. So what I would I would draw from this whole thing is that if something is tamid, it always needs to be continually tended. Mm-hmm. We just can't leave it to uh, to chance. It has to be constantly nurtured, mm-hmm. and just as that light, that nair has to be continually lit every every single night. So too do we have to continue to nourish our relationships, and not expect that that our influence will be just because we're influential, will last forever. Thank you. I think that's a really important distinction. And I think it also is a, a nice uh, charge, right? To, to not just expect something to, to, to last forever, but to recognize that it's something that constantly takes work and re- revisiting, and uh, it's not something that, that comes lightly. Um, by the way, I forgot to point out 
the other Tamid, which if you look back at the first verse, uh, and I think this ties into what you're saying as well, for remembrance before the Lord at all times, right? Lizikaron, Lifnei Hashem, Tamid. And certainly uh, that probably doesn't mean Bikolet, right? At, at every single time, because presumably they're not standing before God in this manner um, at all times. Um, because this seems to be describing a very specific moment when, when he comes into this, uh, into the Mishkan, into this room, right? Uh, it doesn't mean that the priest stays there. It's a, whenever he is, right? Uh, so it can't mean eternal forever at all times. Uh, so I, I want to bring us to our final verse here, um, which you, you might be very familiar with, but what I, what I wasn't familiar with until I, I read it this time was that if you look at, at our verse about Ner Tamid, the perpetual or eternal, however you want to read it, continual uh, flame, the flame, I think, casts a shadow. And I think that shadow is this verse, because if you look Exodus twenty seven twenty, this is absolutely a stretch, I, I know, and I don't usually do stuff like this, but Exodus twenty seven twenty. The mirror reflection uh, from Mishlei Proverbs twenty twenty seven. So I like the image of the of the nair casting this shadow, which is this verse: "The life breath of man is the lamp of of God, of the Lord, revealing all his the, the person's innermost parts." Nair Hashem Nishmat Adam. Um, and what this made me think of in the context of everything we've read is that. God puts in us a ner tamid, and I think that's the neshama, or the, the soul, however you, you understand the soul. Um, I think there's something, whether you understand that theologically, spiritually, or uh, more as our passion, our animating force. I think God puts in us whatever that is. And according to this verse, and if we understand it in context to the ner tamid, maybe that is eternal. So if God has put something in us, that is eternal, then certainly we might be, we just might be capable of leaving behind something in the world that's eternal or perpetual, uh, whatever our legacy may be. Um, so I, I, as we bring this to a conclusion, I just want to open it up for one last round of reflections, thoughts, comments on this. Yeah, Marshall. Well, this is really a question for Rabbi Dorf since you wrote a book recently about the conservative movement and we know that in the 1950s, the Jewish Theological Seminary had a, tele- had a radio program called The Eternal Light. Right. And so I'm wondering if in your own research about the movement, as to why it was called The Eternal Light, was it because that the, the message of Judaism was an element of nitzchiyut, eternality? Or, because I'm sure they didn't want to say, if they called it the continuous light, <laughs> who would have tuned it? Tuned in. <laughs> if you ran into any kind of uh, explanation as to why I came up with that that uh, name for the program, I, I honestly don't know. It was it was in place. Uh, I started rabbinical school in 1966, and it was already in place for I think a decade before then. Right. Um, and I think it was the idea was to to say that that Judaism was in uh, sort of to use a, a completely different kind of uh, metaphor, a, a kind of completely a renewing stream of, of insight and of inspiration and of comfort um, and of truth even. Um, and the idea was that it's an eternal light in the sense that 
that whatever you learned about it before uh, is fine, but now there's more yet to learn. Um, and I, I think that was the, the idea behind it. Um, by the way, just as a, an addition, the last one that you have here, Ner Hashem Nishmat Adam, is the motto of the rabbinical assembly, interestingly. I don't know where that came from either. <laughs> well, so, the, oh yeah, please join us. Um, talk, two comments. Talking about mottos, um, the symbol of JTS and, and the motto that goes along with it is the burning bush and v'hasne enenu ukal, how the, um, the, 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 the fire on the bush was not consumed. It was just burning and burning. So there's obviously something to this motif in the conservative movement. Um, and, um, Talking about my father, there's a Sephardic tradition to um, Psalm 119 has eight verses for every letter of the Hebrew alphabet. And when someone close to you passes away, you choose verses that spell that person's um, name and you recite them every day in memory of the person. So my father's name happens to have a nun in it. And one of the verses from Psalm 19 that I've been saying every day is Ner liragli dvaracha ve'or lintivatai. Um, your word is a lamp to my feet, a light for my path. And as I've been reciting that verse daily, it struck me it's a light for my path, not your path. So to me, what the, that speaks to some of what came up that, you know, you take that light that has been passed on to you, but now you have to use that to, to not forge that person's path. Or, I mean, in this case, I think it's really a reference to God, but you take that light and you forge your own path with it. Beautiful. Thank you. I, I, I want to close on that comment because I think it's beautiful, both uh, as an image and as a message. Um, and just leave us all with, with, with that charge that if uh, even though our lives are unfortunately temporary, um, that doesn't mean we're not capable of leaving behind a, a ner tamid, however we, we understand that. You have been listening to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. If you enjoy these podcasts, we invite you to write a review on the Apple Podcast site or wherever you get your podcasts. For more information about Temple Beth Am Los Angeles, go to tbala.org.